Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Okay. Um, the question is on the on Job, the book of Job. Let me uh, preface it. Okay. First thing is um, I studied religion um, for over a decade, about twelve years, at graduate level, doctorate level. And in that course of study, my area of expertise was Japanese religious culture. But in such a prestigious graduate program, you had to study all kinds of areas, geographical and historical. And you were also exposed to the work done by your peers and other professors, so you had to have a broader understanding of the cultural phenomenon of religion, okay? Um, Secondly, the true crisis in Aikido, in modern Aikido, paper Aikido, is really not its absent martial viability, it is its spiritual impetacy. Um, I think it is a bigger crisis because there are less teachers capable of understanding Budo as a spiritual praxis. Way more less of those people than there are less Aikidoka that have some sort of martial end to their training. They, they, there's, there's more people that understand, as few as they are, there's more people that understand um, architecture, strategy, tactics that lead to a martial viability across the globe than there are people who understand Budo as a spiritual practice, okay? And in the same way that less people understand martial viability, the art starts to transform according to the ignorance that takes the place of that understanding of martial viability. So the art has to come up with other reasons for being, Um, In that same way, the ignorance regarding Budo as a spiritual praxis, uh, it gets replaced with other things. Um, What what generally what it is replaced with is the ideals of the culture that is studying. So um, basically, it'll take the... Uh, 
surrounding cultures, uh, sense of morality, sense of value, sense of meaning, and it kind of implants them inside the dojo. Okay, so whatever it means in that area where you are amongst that population that you train with, whatever good means to those people, that's what the art comes to represent. So, for example, um, most Aikido is in where this is happening is in the first world. And in the first world, so to speak, um, there's very little use for violence outside of a professional class that is designed to do that violence for you. Um, and so uh, since violence is left to a specialty class and you don't have to do it, um, you start to value nonviolence, do you see? And so Aikido, that's what good Aikido is. That's what good moral Aikido is. It's nonviolent Aikido, do you see that? And so then your practice starts to reflect uh, just what is simply the surrounding culture, okay? And this is what C.S. Lewis means when he says, um, sometimes culture is the way into Jerusalem, but sometimes culture is the way out of Jerusalem. So uh, that understanding of good, that understanding of nonviolence is really not part of Buddha's viable spiritual praxis. It's just part of the contemporary culture, okay? After these, those two points, what I would like to draw uh, by putting them together is that Buddha is part of a larger human history that manifests what I'll simply call here uh, mysticism. It's one more example of the human uh, technology of mysticism. Okay, and again, we can define that easy. Um, Mysticism is a collection of practices designed to reconcile the subject-object dichotomy within the practitioner. Okay. Uh, the Book of Job is part of a religious culture, and within that religious culture, it has come to be considered part of a what is called a wisdom tradition. And what do you think the wisdom Uh, revolves around how to reconcile the subject-object dichotomy within the practitioner, okay? So, you can use the Book of Job as a kind of lens, okay? Or even a kind of guide rail. So, if it works as a lens, it's a lens by which you measure your proximity to this wisdom path, okay, towards that end. Um, So what's going on in Job, okay? Well, what is going on in Job is what is going on in everywhere you see this type of human practice, okay? It's the same thing. But you have to take into account 
that just like in Budo, just like in Aikido, not everyone understands what is going on. They get their hands on the discourse throughout time. And you're going to have some elements that uh, are added that you can tell are not really part of the text. Um, or um, you're going to find cultural understandings of the text that are not part of the wisdom tradition. Okay, so one common one is that the genie in the sky. Okay, the genie in the sky understanding of the divine principle um, or, or let us say that aspect that exists post-reconciliation of the subject-object dichotomy. Okay. These wisdom traditions will give that thing various names. Some will not name it as all, at all. Uh, in this case, we're just going to call it God. Okay. But people that do not understand, they will think of God as a kind of genie in the sky, not this other kind of negative concept that is beyond subject and object. Okay. Beyond an experience of the world that is no longer based in subject and object. Okay, that's what is that? Well, we don't. You, there's really no point naming it, but we're going to call it this. And, okay. So people will read Job and they go, "Oh, there's this all-powerful genie in the sky, and he lords over. He's male, first of all, and he lords over you. And what you're supposed to learn from Job is just how to shut the fuck up and uh, take what you get. Do you see?" But uh, that's not what's really going on. Okay. So you can, you have a couple of things if you're trying to figure out what is really going on. You have a couple avenues. I can only think of two. Okay. One is you can start your own mystic-based practice and combine that with at least 10 years of studying of mysticism as this technology erupts across human history and across geography. Uh, and then you'll start to realize, oh yeah, not a genie in the sky, that's not what's going on, um, right? Or the other one the for us moderns is Jung, okay? You read uh, Carl Jung, uh, because he already did that for you. You see, he already did that. So his red book, for example, uh, he already did it. Um, and so then he tasked himself with, uh, how do I bring this technology into a modern discourse so us moderns can understand more what we have forgotten and what we have given up and what we really can't afford to give up and have to refigure out how to do again, okay? So, hence that latest video, okay? Um, and I think the person that made that video, he, I think he, I've watched several of his videos, um, so I don't remember if the one I posted had this in there, but at some point he's mentioning, basically he was raised in the genie in the sky idea, uh, and then eventually uh, you will come to experience uh, the secular arguments, which are, which are valid, perfectly valid, for the genie in the sky, okay? Um, and he had, it's not uncommon, right? Somebody realizes 
uh, you'll try, you'll dip your hands in this kind of secular atheism uh, when you do that. And then if you pay attention, he said it was around 17, so he's at that high school, end of high school age, you see, and you start getting into other social groups and things like that. And the world here is predominantly secular materialist. And if you go off to college, guess what? You're just, that's it. You're in that world, okay? Uh, and then usually after that, you start to realize, oh, I don't feel so good. You know, it kind of starts like that. And then you usually see one or two behaviors. Um, you'll see like the drug addiction, entertainment addiction, where you try to create distance from the world because you're experiencing the world as that which doesn't make you feel good. Or you go on the wisdom path. And you start uh, digging deeper and deeper past these initial misunderstandings, okay? And he himself took option two. Okay? So he got into Jung and started to read Jung. Uh, so Jung has a book. I can't remember the exact title. It's something like An Answer to Job or something like that. Um, his stuff is getting popular again. Uh, I think it's getting popular for that reason. There's a lot more younger people who uh, have tried the woke activism or the drug and various forms of intoxication and uh, are realizing, I don't feel so good. Or there's more younger people watching their peers not look so good. Um, and you're starting to see this kind of like separation from that cultural trend. And that's what created space for someone like Jordan Peterson, okay? Um, he didn't say anything new, not in terms of the mystical traditions and not even in terms of Jung, okay? And as there was a room for his popularity, you're starting to see Jung being republished, okay? So uh, if I remember correctly, the, um, the answer to Job book was, was like in libraries, in college, university libraries. And so here at the University of California, you would have to get it from different places. It would float around, right? Um, and usually when a book is like that, you, you know, Amazon might sell it now, but it's like 200 bucks or 100 and something bucks for this paperback, right? You're like, is that a hard, hard cover first edition? No, no, it's just a paperback. Um, but you'll start to see the price go down, and Kindle helps prices go down and things like that. And if you are a membership on Prime, you get a lot of Kindle books free now. And a lot of those books that are free are former... Um, popular academic books. Okay, so look into that uh, before you spend the two hundred bucks or on this stuff. Okay. So, um, what is Jung going to do with the Book of Job? He is going to filter everything out that is basically not a a uh, mystic technology. Okay. And so he, right away he gets rid of the genie in the sky idea, okay? Um, 
And I'll cut to the chase here. Why would such a text exist at all in, in light of such, such a technology? Because the text is a kind of pointer. For who? For the practitioner. To what end? To reconcile the subject-object dichotomy. You, if you keep that in mind, you have to keep that in mind as you're reading this. So the story, the ultimate aim of the story is that. The ultimate aim of the story is not on what is the nature of reality, what is the nature of God, what is the nature of justice or morality, you know, or cause and effect. No, that has nothing to do with the ultimate aim of the text, okay? And so if you start with that as the end and then you move backwards, then the next thing you want to see is really how the reader in reading the text is brought to that point. Not necessarily Job. Do you get that? If you make Job the point of the story, you're a good modern and you're a good jargonite and a, you know, you're a book, a book fetish person. That's not the point of the story. And that story was verbal and oral a long time before it was written down. The point of the story is you. And you go one step backwards, then you're going, you're going to see that if the story makes sense in a kind of narrative way, in a kind of linear beginning, middle, end way, that's not it. Because that's within the subject-object dichotomy, okay? So if you allow for that, that's, that is the main reason why genie in the sky doesn't work. To get, that's just wrong. All right, so what do we have in the story? We have this guy... And he is living in an era where there is a popular worldview, which still exists today, okay? And that is that if you're good, good things happen to you. And you could go even deeper. Good things are supposed to happen to you. You can go even deeper. It's don't, you don't want to live so that bad things happen to you. So if you look, this makes perfect sense to us moderns. Life is all about pleasure and comfort. Do you see? And avoiding pain and avoiding suffering. And that's what you see in most modern Aikido Dojo today. So the idea of intense training, for example, which by definition, it can't be intense if it's comfortable to you. Do you see? The idea of intense training is now bad in, in paper dojo, do you see? They'll have all kinds of reasons why it's bad, but as I said, their dojo is no longer tied to this spiritual technology. It's just a reflection of the culture of the people who's doing it, okay? It starts to change its message. But this human propensity for avoiding suffering and to having some sort of purpose, some sort of utility to your training itself. 
And there, if you cut to the chase, you're going to go like, well, I, you know, it's good for me. It's, you'll come, come to land on something positive. It's good. It makes me feel good. It keeps me young. You, you get it? These are not part of the mystical tradition. Keeps me healthy. It's healthy. Do you see? Remember the guy that came in and uh, tried to ambush? Remember that guy? And uh, we had a talk outside. And he said, um, Hey, you know, they're about to discover a way to have everyone be immortal. And remember I said, well, I'm not sure I want to live for forever. And he's all, why? And I go, well, it's not in alignment with nature. Things die. He's all, yeah, but see, people would stop suffering. Do you see that his answer? It's connected to the cessation of suffering. And something as natural as death is considered something to suffer. And he's all, it would stop all the fear, all the fear of death. And then my last statement to his, his was, well, I think the, the, the drive to find a scientific immortality is itself a fear of death. These aims of health and to live forever and positive things are not part of the mystical technology. They're part of the subject-object dichotomy. So the book of Job is taking something that we tend to do as a human being and as human culture, but it, also, it was existing during his time. Okay. So Job is a dude that's living that way. He goes to his Aikido class, right? He trains in nonviolence, right? He thinks good thoughts. Every once in a while, a post on the internet triggers him, you know, and he might do some personal insults. But other than that, he's pretty good. He has a job. He's got a roof over his head. He's got some kids. They're going to college. Do you see? On a good day, he might not even read Facebook, let alone be triggered, okay? He's a good guy. Got it? And then the story goes on and says, uh, completely out of his control, do you see? Because that's the assumption of that worldview. That, it's, that the world and reality and our experience of reality can be controlled, not only controlled, but controlled external to ourselves. Can be controlled within the dichotomy of subject and object. Okay? So this story just cuts to the chase. Man, there's these people. There's these beings. In fact, I don't even know what they are. They're not on earth. They got nothing to do with your world, Job. Not really. And they just had a bet that you're full of shit, Job. That's the bet. You see? One of them saw you get triggered on Facebook and goes, that dude is triggerable. 
If it's all going his way, if it's all within his comfort zone, if it's all just a matter of supporting his current world as he imagines it, he's a good dude. But once it's not, no, he's an asshole. And how good are you really if it's based on just pristine conditions toward that end? They go, I don't know. The other guy goes, no, I don't know. I think he is what he appears to be. I'll bet you halfway. You could F with his world, but you cannot touch him. Hey, I think I could still do it. I'll take that bet. So this... Things happen to Job's world. His kids get killed. His houses break down. His herds die off, etc. Do you see? And he stays kind of cool. Well, you know, some things you get and some things you take away. Oh, shit. He's got some sense of selflessness. Do you see? But the one being that goes, yeah, because you fucking, you did a half bet. Shit, who can't do that? You want to see egocentrism? Do it to the dude himself. All right. I'll bet you that. Cool. So now, outside of his control, for no reasons that he can't imagine... Do you see? Because reasons he can't imagine are inside his subject-object construct. Reasons he cannot imagine are outside that. So as a side note here, that's what the storytellers are telling you. Your world is a construct. And no matter how good you paint it, no matter how much you pretend it makes sense, It is a construct. It is a fiction. It is a product of that mind. Which mind? Well, you have to go deeper, and this is where Jung comes in. Which parts of our mind? Okay, in our teachings here, we have even, as Jung simplified the mystic technologies, we have simplified Jung and the mystic technologies. So which mind? The dichotomous mind. Why is the mind abiding in dichotomy? In the delusion or the illusion of dichotomy? Because you're afraid. That fear ex- has you experiencing the world through the dichotomy of threat and non-threat. Why? Because you want to live in comfort. You want a pain-free life. You, want, you have constructed some utility to your world construct. What's wrong with that? Because it was just a fiction. And sooner or later, the world is going to operate outside of that construct. And what happens to you then? Well, that suffering you claim to be, not want, uh, it's coming your way. That nonviolence you claim to not do, you're about to do. Because you feel threatened. 
the video or a few words on Facebook, you felt threatened and now you start attacking. Mr. Nonviolent. It reminds me of how in law enforcement, when the officers under stress and poor training or have the mission of serving and protecting and they go to the suicidal subject who's pointing a gun at their head and go, put that gun down or I'll shoot you. That, that does not make sense. So I'm triggered by the intensity in your dojo. It's too violent. So I'm going to fucking be violent now and tell you how abusive you are, you fucker. Do you see? It's a contradiction. I thought you were nonviolent. I thought you were Mr. Mellow. That's the bet. The God being is going, he is Mr. Mellow. And the Satan is going, he is not. He's a fucker like every other fucker out there. Why? Because he has a world construct. And sooner or later, reality is going to exist outside of that. And you're going to be triggered because you're going to experience it as a threat. And we can do, we can suffer that for a little bit, like Job. If it's not really happening to me, okay, I get my, those are my kids. But I can have more kids. That was my whole herd, but I can get more herd, you know. I can build, build that house again. But when it starts happening to him, guess what? The Satan is winning the bet. And so Job, is, is, he, he cries for justice because this is injustice. But the text is not about that. The text is about you, the reader. Hey, look at a dude who has reality come to exist outside of his construct. Look how he is reacting. Everything prior to now was he was good. He was he reached some sort of wisdom. He achieved some sort of greatness. He reached some sort of spiritual maturity, some sort of emotional intelligence. Someone saw early. No, he didn't. Be Why? Because there is no spiritual maturity inside the dichotomy. There's only fear. And there's only will to power. There's only violence. This, in essence, is the Four Noble Truths. If you go, you take just a couple of them, life is suffering. If you look deeper on the next one I want you to consider, there's a way to end suffering. It's telling you not really life is suffering, but living a particular way is suffering. Do you see? 
And when you look at the means by which life no longer is suffering, you're going to see a reconciliation of the subject-object dichotomy. It's going to be right speech, right action, right thought. But if you go deeper, what is right on all of those things? It's no longer subject-object dichotomy. No longer dichotomy. No longer experiencing the world through fear and as a threat or as a reification of your fictional construct. So Job's crying for justice because he's not letting go of his construct. And the reader knows exactly as the reader, as, as the writer or the orator of the story knows that most of us are living that way with that kind of sense that live for good and if you live good then good things happen to you and we have some utilitarian uh, aspect to our existence inside the world itself do you see the writer or the orator knows that story the writer or the orator also knows that you have a genie in the sky understanding of God so now they're going to F with that. And God comes and you're like, I, I can't wait to hear this answer because I kind of agree with Job. Something's, something's got to make sense here. Man, I can't wait. But he doesn't give him an answer. He just... presents visions to him. Now that's interesting because from a history of religions point of view, visions, hallucinations of that kind have always been part of mystical traditions. You do various practices, sleep deprivation, food deprivation, physical exhaustion, pain reconciliation, things that work upon another dichotomy we use, which is the mind-body dichotomy, which is part of that other world construct, which is part of paper Aikido today. So, the mind-body is a false dichotomy, as all dichotomies are. There is a communion between them. Hence, in our school, we say, you're not mind and you're not body, you're embodied consciousness. The two are present at all times and must be addressed as such at all times. That's why when you, when you lose your awareness, it shows up in your body. Your body stops moving. Well, your body moves the wrong way. Your body never stops moving or moves the wrong way without that simultaneous faltering in your mind. For the body to be fluid, the mind must be fluid. There's no way around it. So these technologies of mysticism have used 
something particular to human beings. And this is where Jung comes in. There are aspects of our body-mind, of our embodied consciousness, that seem to provide us with information outside of our constructs. Let's just say it like that. Here in our school, we call that the second mind aspect. And you are trying to tap into that second mind aspect through similar kinds of trials. Exhaustion, pain, intensity. To tap into that mind. Because it's that mind that exposes the construct. And as it's exposed, it frees us from the construct. And everything that goes with it. So God shows up and just boom, fills Job's third eye with visions. And every one of those visions destroys his construct. Enormous beast questions you just don't consider in your normal construct. Things you take for granted because that's, uh, every construct is a, is a falsity because it's an edited manifestation of the experience of reality. So when you ask questions about goats, you like I didn't even I don't even what goats no in my rule goats eat grass they jump around I don't need to know you know what energy or whatever is causing the goat to become fertile or what have you you know and this giant beast what I've never even seen that thing so he just loads them with stuff so. From this mystic technology, what is happening is Job is now a representative of your mind being blown. Is that second mind aspect is being tapped into. And this is summed up in his last statement. Because if you remember prior to this, he had all these questions. He had all these arguments. They all made sense. And the experience he was having did not make sense. But now he's not given any of those answers. He just has his construct deconstructed. This is the mystic technology. And what he says in the end is common across mystical traditions. It is the self-release, the self-displacement, the self-deconstruction. And he says, I am dust. Meaning, dust doesn't go around thinking how the world works. You see, dust doesn't make these fabrications. Dust doesn't have a sense of justice and a reason for being. Dust just is.
But there's another interesting side that Jung pulls out. And it has to do with this second mind aspect. Job is not having his arguments not addressed because the genie in the sky is above it all. Job does not have his arguments addressed because the second mind aspect doesn't think like that at all, doesn't function like that at all. So you as the reader, you're going to be disappointed unless you can get the, so to speak, the code. And the code is very simple. You can work it backwards. Be like dust. Tap into the second mind aspect. Let go and release yourself from your dichotomous worldview, your worldview, period. No matter how good it sounds, no matter what utility you imagine, that second mind aspect has nothing to do with this ego tripartite. They two can't talk to each other. They don't function the same way. They don't function to the same end. So be wary of, and most, and you probably still do, you have some purpose to your training. But you've been advised many times that your training should be like breathing. Now, I understand that you can will yourself to take a good breath and inhale the clean air and the, that's not what I mean. In the way that dust is dust, breathing is breathing. Floating somewhere between these two mind aspects. Because the breath can be under our control but the breath functions without our control. Breath is riding that sacred line between the first mind aspect and the second mind aspect. And this is why breath has always been central to the mystical technologies. It is both yours and not yours. Do you see? And you will all learn that one day when it is taken from you. It wasn't yours. But it was yours.
This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com, S-E-N-S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.com, or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.